the rest of us, we will, this morning, we're going to return to our series on the spiritual disciplines. Hopefully, the title of our sermon is becoming a little more ingrained in your mind and starting to kind of be unpacked a bit as we've gone week by week here. Our series is called Devoted, Finding Joy in the Spiritual Disciplines. And as we, we head into the message today, I, I want us to recall the primary purpose, primary goal behind these spiritual disciplines that we have that I'm encouraging you to to practice and develop and grow in your life, the goal of practicing spiritual disciplines is the joy of flourishing in godliness. This is what what I'm trying to aim us towards, is is I'm not trying to give you a set of, here are things you just got to get on the the task list and muscle through and and just white knuckle, get it done. Here are the the rules to follow. No, I'm, I'm trying to give you frameworks. I'm trying to give you tools to use to obtain this goal of joy in your life, of flourishing in godliness in your life. And so I, I hope that we're keeping that in mind as we talk about these things. And then you'll approach these moments that we have, these times for, for hearing the word of God, these times for worship, this time for gathering like this, with, with your mind engaged, with your heart ready to hear from God, with your will set that, that you intend to respond to and apply the things that we talk about in this time, because my hope, my prayer for each one of you is that you, you are longing to glorify God and experience this joy of flourishing that he has created you to have. So this morning, as we continue in this series, I want us to talk about a spiritual discipline that might be completely foreign to some of us in the room. It might be familiar, but a little bit misunderstood to others. And for a few in here, this discipline might already be a regular practice that I want to encourage us to refine and continue to grow in. The title of the message this morning, the seventh week of this series, we're going to talk about how we can be sharpening our affections with fasting. Sharpening affections with fasting. If you have your Bible, grab that and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel and go to chapter 9 this morning. It's where we'll, we'll start, but we'll be in a few other texts. Now, what I need to say right up front um, on this is that This is a really big topic. Really, all of these things we've talked about in the spiritual disciplines um, could be standalone series all on their own. But for the last several weeks, as as I've been working on on this, and of course, we were going to talk about this last week, and then we went online, and I felt like this would be better for this context as we we gather. I'm realizing I could could very easily spend several weeks on this topic, because it's a big topic. It's a lot to narrow down to one sermon. There are several things that I think are really important for you to hear and to grasp and to to know as you begin to implement fasting in your life, because there's a lot of errors and there's a lot of misuses of this term and this concept. But I have to try and keep it all into this, this one sermon in this series and keep us on pace to get to Easter on time. So I know that I can't cover everything that, that really I would like to cover in this one message. And so what I'm, I'm thinking is it may raise some questions for you. It, it may uh, spark some thoughts that you're like, well, I wonder about this, or, or how could I apply that? And, and there may be things going on like that, and I want to encourage you to, to write those down, to, to make a note of those, and then come in and talk to me, right? Give me a call, send me a text. Come up here, sit down in my office, I'll make a cup of coffee. We can talk through those things and how to apply this in your life. But, but I'm, I, I just want you to know up front, we're not going to get through everything, and so if it raises questions, those are good things, and let's work through those things. I'm not just available to you here during this service time, right? Anytime this week, I would love to continue this conversation with you. So, Let's look at the text of Scripture and start to work through this spiritual discipline of fasting. 
In Matthew chapter 9, what we find is Jesus being questioned as specifically to why his disciples, during these years of Jesus' earthly ministry, why have they broken from the traditions and practices of fasting that the Jews were regularly doing at that point? They weren't doing those things, and so some religious people come to Jesus and they, they question him, Teacher, why do we not see this? This is Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. So then the disciples of John came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So what we need to notice here in Matthew 9, just these two verses, is that Jesus is acknowledging there's something unique about his physical earthly ministry. When he's there with his disciples, they're walking through these years together on earth, he says, yeah, there's, there's something different about this time versus other times in history. While Jesus was with them, he's, he's telling, in answer to this question, there was no need, there was no reason for his disciples to fast. It was a time to celebrate, a time to rejoice, like a wedding reception. That's the illustration that he uses, right? So we, we can relate to that. We know something's really wrong if we go over to a wedding reception, we walk in the room, and it's just dead silent. Everyone's just sitting there looking down, right? Like there's nobody eating, nobody talking, no rejoicing, no laughing. We're going to wonder, did I walk into the right room? <laughs> Because a wedding reception, that time, it's supposed to be joyous, it's supposed to be exciting, it's supposed to be fun and, and lively. And Jesus says, this is what it's like when I'm here with my disciples. They are to rejoice. I'm with them. It should be a time of celebration, not a time of mourning when the physical Christ is with us. And so Jesus says, this is the reality for my disciples, this reality for this moment. It's not time to abstain from something. It's time for them to enjoy my presence and my good gifts. But notice what he says at the end of verse 15. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So we know Jesus is speaking of the end of his earthly ministry. What he came to do was, was not to live for hundreds of years and just kind of perpetually keep walking with groups of disciples throughout all of history. He came for a purpose of dying and, and going away as he died and rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven. He's now no longer with his disciples physically. And he says at that time, when that happens, after all that takes place, well, then they will fast. And it's just a statement of fact that Jesus makes here, Right? So I want us to understand this morning as we talk about this, fasting is a discipline expected by Jesus in this age we live in right now. And he doesn't have to issue a command to his disciples and say, hey, uh, by the way, make sure you do this. He just simply says, once I'm gone, they will. He expects this, this to be true. So what Jesus is telling us is that it's this time right now when the bridegroom is not with us. He's not physically present here. He's ascended into heaven. Here we are still on earth carrying out the mission that he has left us, not in his immediate physical presence. Right now, this is the time that there should be fasting by his followers. So let me offer a definition of what fasting is before we talk about why and how we should go about fasting. In the most foundational sense, if you look at all the references in the Bible to fasting, a little more than 80 references to fasting in the Bible, strictly speaking, this is how we ought to define fasting. Fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. Now, anytime I give you a definition... I put a lot of work into the definition, and I tell you, uh, we should pay attention to the whole definition <laughs> because everything is in there for a reason, right? And especially when we're talking about fasting, I want you to get this. Fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose, or if we want to be more precise, the spiritual discipline of fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. 
If we don't have a spiritual purpose in undertaking fasting, then it's not a spiritual discipline. It's interesting to me to look at history and see how things can completely change in cultures over periods of time. And if you, if you zoom out far enough, everything is really short periods of time, right? So in the Middle Ages, what I find to be fascinating is if you go back and you read about what was happening in the Middle Ages, you read the writings of Christians in the Middle Ages, fasting was just a normal part of religious life for about everybody. In fact, if you go back to uh, pre-Reformation time, you find that Roman Catholicism in particular had really elevated fasting beyond what it should have been biblically, and we'll talk about that in, in just a bit. But if you go back into history and you read about how Christians did fasting, it was not just typical to see or hear about fasting during much of history. It was actually required of people. They were told, you have to practice this in order to live a life of religious devotion. Everyone had experience with fasting personally for most of history. And many people didn't just have done a fast a couple times in their life. They would regularly fast as part of their religious devotion to God. So, so we've talked about Martin Luther, for example, and, and his adherence to very strict fasting as his, during his time as a monk. And that was very typical in the 1500s. That, that was normal. And for most centuries leading up to that time, that was a normal way of living the Christian life and expressing Christianity was through regular fasting. But if we come a little more contemporary to our time, out of the Middle Ages, if you get to like 1978, Richard Foster wrote a book about spiritual disciplines, and he wrote in his chapter on fasting, he says this, fasting has been in general disrepute both in and outside the church for many years. And he goes on to say that he could not find a single book published on the subject of fasting written between the years of 1861 and 1954. He said, for a long time now, it seems like fasting is just not something that has been prominent in our culture or inside of the church. And so Foster spends a lot of time talking about the benefits of fasting and the reasons we should consider fasting as Christians because he's, he sees the need to revive a spiritual discipline that he felt has just been completely misunderstood or forgotten, particularly in Protestant circles for quite a while. But today, if we were to survey the landscape of culture broadly, there's actually been a huge revival of interest in the idea of fasting broadly. Outside of the church, fasting is very popular right now in various forms due to the health benefits it can offer. Several weeks ago, Malia sent uh, me and the rest of her family. We have a, a text group that, you know, everyone gets everything. And, and so I look down sometimes, there's like 43 messages because they're all talking about different stuff. And a few weeks ago, Malia had started one. She sent a video to a TED Talk, if you're familiar with TED Talks. And this TED Talk was on the concepts behind intermittent fasting in particular. And so it's just this, this kind of brief, I don't know, eight-minute video or whatever of this, this medical professional, she was a nurse, talking about the benefits of fasting, how to go about doing intermittent fasting. That video was recorded from this talk given May 15, 2019, and as of this week has had over 7.8 million views on the YouTube version of it alone. That's a lot of people watching this video about the idea of intermittent fasting. So I thought, I wonder uh, what else we would see in terms of how broad this conversation is in our culture right now. So I did a quick search using Google. I just did a, a search, restricted it to news sources, so not just any website anywhere, but I wanted to see news articles that were written in the last month on the topic of fasting, and Google brought back about 18,700 results of articles posted in the last month on the concept of fasting. Outside the church, this has become a very popular thing for a lot of people. 
And inside the church, I think fasting has seen a revival of sorts as well. It's become much more commonplace in the last decade, a little over a decade as well. A big revival of this occurred um, after 2009 when Susan Gregory wrote her book, The Daniel Fast. Literally hundreds of thousands of Christians have followed that plan for fasting in the last 12 years or so. I, I watched a lot of churches and a lot of Christians in Springfield go through that uh, concept of what they call the Daniel Fast based on her book and doing those methodologies year by year by year during my time in Springfield. And now this author, she's written multiple follow-up books, and there are dozens if not hundreds of other authors writing on the topic of fasting as well. It's really become its own sub-genre in and of itself. If you go to some of the major booksellers, I'd say go to a bookstore, but they're kind of going away now, but if you go to a major bookseller, you can usually filter the type of materials you're looking for by Christian living and fasting as a sub-discipline. This is just widely popular in the world today. So since 1978 and Foster's observation, I think clearly fasting has come back into vogue in the world and in the church today, but unfortunately all this focus on fasting and all this use of a term does not mean that in every case fasting is being done properly. Just because people are abstaining from food for a season, especially with the concept of intermittent fasting, it doesn't mean they're doing the spiritual discipline of Christian fasting. So what I want to put before you today is this idea. The main reason you and I should fast as Christians is to sharpen our affections and desires for God above all else. If I could just try to break it all down to the most crucial thing that I need you to get in one sermon that I can give you on fasting, what I want you to get into your mind to think about as you consider the concept of fasting, it's this. This is the most important element. Fasting done rightly helps sharpen our affections and desires for God above all else. What the spiritual discipline of fasting offers to us is a tool And it's a tool that's very effective at exposing what is going on inside of us and helping us address those things so that we can draw closer to God relationally, primarily through prayer and hearing him in the scriptures. So Dr. John Piper, talking about fasting, rightly notes this. One of the reasons for fasting is to know what is in us. In fasting, what is in your heart will come out. You will see it, and you will have to deal with it or quickly smother it again. So if you haven't noticed, as we're talking about spiritual disciplines, we're talking about these, these the physical actions that I'm encouraging you to undertake and to build into your rhythm of your life, right? But every one of them has a lot to do with your heart. If your heart's not engaged in the action, just doing the action's not enough. In any case, right? If prayer is just, I'm going to repeat some words and then say, I prayed today, that's not truly prayer, right? If worship for you is just, I'll stand here while everybody else sings or I'll kind of mumble along to the words as everyone else sings them, that's not really worship, right? You have to engage your heart for any of these things to be true and genuine and spiritually beneficial in you. And so learning what's going on in your heart, learning how to sort that out, learning how to engage your heart when it needs to be engaged, it's crucial and foundational to living a Christian life. And fasting is a very powerful tool to accomplishing that goal. Our heart posture really is the hinge between something being worship and something just being an empty ritual, so Richard Foster, in his book on fasting, again, he elaborates more on this idea by saying along the lines of what Dr. Piper said, but in a little bit longer quote. He says this, More than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, those things surface. 
If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. And at first, we will rationalize that our anger, or whatever it is, is due to our hunger. But then we will realize we are angry because anger is in our hearts. As Christians, we can rejoice at this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ, and now we can seek him for help in that specific need. See, if you've ever done fasting before, or if you can just imagine fasting for a moment, you know this will be true. If you're not eating food for a while, now one meal, yeah, you could probably push through that. Some of us have even gotten into rhythms. For a long time, I, I ate just two meals a day. wasn't a big deal. wasn't fasting. I, just, I was busy. I didn't eat during lunch, or I skipped breakfast, or whatever it may be. You can get by with a meal, but if you intentionally start to set aside meals and go for a period of time without eating, if you've ever done that, you know your mood is affected by it, <laughs> right? So you start to get a little bit hungry, and our natural inclination is, ah, I'm a little bit hungry, let me go over and grab a snack, I'll get something to eat, maybe I'll make dinner, right? We can do that. But if you then have to realize, no, I, actually, I'm, I'm not eating that meal. Well, suddenly something's going to pop up, and it might be anger, it might be, it might be you're upset, like, ah, why do I have to do this? It might be pride, eh, you know what, I've been really good in other ways, I'm, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Something will come out, and whatever it is that's coming out, that's what's in you, that's in your heart. And fasting is this way to kind of expose this and bring to the surface intentionally so that we can deal with it. So you and I, we, we all face this very great challenge of being drawn away from God by lesser things as we live in this world. And that's not new or unique to us. It's not just the result of technology or modern culture, though I think that is all enhanced as a danger to us because of when we live. But this draw away from God to other things is common in all ages and in all places for all of God's people. The Bible calls this draw away from God towards something else idolatry. And as I've stressed to you before, idolatry is not just confined to having little statues or images of false deities in your home. An idol is anything that you are pursuing or worshiping other than God himself. And so as I constantly tell you, we, we are made for worship and we are constantly worshiping. We're, we're hardwired to it. It's something that's going on no matter what we're doing. The, matter, the question is not, are we worshiping? The question is, what or who are we worshiping? So things can easily become idols to us. Television, board games, books, sports, cars, our homes, money, all of those things can be physical idols in our lives today. And non-physical things can be idols in our lives today, too. It could be our public image. It could be our work, our sense of accomplishment, our appearances, our pursuit of power or respect or control. All of those things can become idols in our lives, sometimes more easily than the physical things can become idols in our lives. And this is where the spiritual discipline of fasting comes in as this beautiful gift to God's people to help us find true joy and growth in godliness as we practice this discipline. Listen, fasting attacks our idolatry so it will not rob our affections and desires away from God. This is, this is like I said, fasting's a tool, and here's the use of the tool. It's to attack the idolatry, all the little things that start to come up and start to overflow when you do fasting. That's what the tool's designed to do, is to bring those out, uproot those so you can deal with them. Jesus warns us that idolatry is this root issue as he's explaining the parable of the seed in Luke chapter 8. Notice carefully what Jesus says, Luke 8, 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The thing that chokes out some people's joy 
and growth and spiritual vitality. The thing that Jesus is warning about here is not just the obvious sins and dangers of this world, right? Like you're looking at the text. Jesus doesn't say, the thing that chokes out some people's vitality is heroin and human trafficking and the love of murder. It's not that. He says here, it's the normal everyday thing, the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. These things can become very dangerous to us if they become idols in our life. So track with me, right? We know biblically, as we've talked about this over and over again, it's not evil to care about our family and to work hard at work and to love other people, right? Things like that in this life are good things. It's not evil to be blessed by God with riches. We I talked about this two weeks ago, right? From Scripture, we saw all the riches belong to God. He's entrusted all of it to us to steward. And so whether he's given you much or little, that's not a sign of evil. That's a sign of a good gift from God for you to steward, right? And it's not evil to enjoy the many pleasures of this life. God's actually made us for pleasure. That's why you and I can react with joy and experience things with pleasure because God's wired us for that and then put that before us to experience. These are things are good gifts that come from the hand of God. He's not saying here cares and riches and pleasures of this life are all evil. He's saying they can, if they become idols, choke out your spiritual vitality. If we let these things go unchecked, if they become idols that we're not working on, that we're not combating in our lives, they will choke out our spiritual vitality. So this gift of being able to expose our hearts serves to bring up the sins that you and I need to mortify. If we're filled with sinful things, then we're not going to be filled with the proper love and desire and pursuit of God that we ought to have in our lives. This is the garden metaphor that I've used repeatedly, right? If we have weeds in the garden and we let them go unchecked, we don't do anything about them, they can grow and thrive and do whatever they want to do, all of the good plants that we have put down are going to get choked out and killed. They're not going to produce what we've put them in the ground to produce because the weeds will overtake them. That's true of our hearts as well. If we do not get in there and clear out and remove the weeds of sin in our own lives, we're not going to grow and flourish and produce the things God has intended for us to produce. So this spiritual discipline of fasting is a way of you and I humbling ourselves before God and intentionally exposing what's going on inside of us and giving us some dedicated space where we can ask God to mortify our sins, to kill those seeds, those weeds that are in there, to heal our brokennesses, and to revive our hearts, to love him as we should. If we're never doing this type of humbling work before God, we will eventually run dry as our affections are choked out by other things in our lives. So I want us to understand, as we're talking about fasting this morning, we're talking about these benefits of this, get this, fasting is not an end in itself. The goal is not just to convince you to fast every so often. I want you to fast, but I want you to fast for the spiritual purpose behind fasting, right? Just abstaining from food for a period of time is not going to give you any inherent immediate spiritual benefits. Fasting is just a tool. It's used to obtain an end, to reach a greater goal. And I really believe this to be true. Fasting has to be tied to the primary disciplines of prayer and scripture intake to be spiritually effective in us. If you just abstain from food for a whole day, but you do not give any extra thought towards God, if you don't spend any time in prayer or you don't spend any time reading the word, then what you're doing may be fasting physically, but it is not the spiritual discipline of fasting. 
the millions and millions of people who've watched those videos about intermittent fasting can follow that program very faithfully and fully, but it does not make them Christian, and it does not make what they're doing spiritually beneficial in any way. So I'm going to encourage all of us. We do need to uh, engage in the spiritual discipline of fasting, but I need you to understand God's not impressed by your willpower. He's not looking down and going, wow, 24 hours, 36 hours, 72 hours, fasting. That's awesome. I love that guy a little bit more. Working hard down there. If you see fasting as some way of trying to save yourself or justify yourself, you are going to fail to truly fast, and you're not going to obtain what you are seeking. You will not be saved by fasting. Hear me clearly on this. Salvation only comes by the grace of God given to us through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You cannot be saved by fasting or doing any other good work or discipline. You have to be saved by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And after you are saved, after you're changed by God and he's working in you, then you can live this life of spiritual disciplines and grow from that. But don't confuse the growth, the fruit of the Christian life with the roots of your justification. No good work that you're supposed to do over here is going to be done back here to save you. You are saved by God's grace alone. And so hear me, the the spiritual benefits come only when a Christian fasts and is seeking God in that time of fasting through the word and through prayer. The Bible's really, really clear that the primary issue around fasting is not food. 1 Corinthians 8.8 tells us food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and we are no better off if we do eat. The issue is not food. Just abstaining for a period of time is not what fasting is about. I'm really convinced if you are not incorporating prayer and scripture into your time of fasting, you are missing the point of Christian fasting. The primary purpose of fasting is to engage us in a humbling act that would stir up our affections and desires for God above all else and give us the opportunity to connect with God relationally through prayer and listening to him in his word. David says in both Psalm 35, 13 and Psalm 69, 10, that he humbled his soul with fasting. He knew there was a a purpose. It wasn't just I went some days fasting. No, he said, I humbled my soul by fasting. Christian fasting is us intentionally giving up a pleasure, a gift, even a necessity like food in order to humble ourselves before God and remind ourselves and confess that we do need him more than we need anything else. Like, like we sang this morning in our worship songs. Fasting is a way to express. We actually believe that's true, not just a nice tune to sing along to as Wendy plays. Fasting is a way to push us towards loving the giver more than the gifts. Amen. And he gives us such amazing gifts, right? But it's never intended for you and I to get the gift and go, wow, this is an amazing gift. I love this gift so much. And to ignore the one who's given us the gift. Like, we don't like that, right? You get someone this amazing birthday gift and they spend all of their birthday talking about how amazing the birthday gift was but never once thank you or talk to you about it, right? They're just walking around showing everybody, look at my gift, isn't this gift amazing? You see how cool this gift is? And you're just sitting over there in the corner? Like, like you feel that there's a disconnect, right? The gift is supposed to lead us back to the, to the giver and this is the way it is with the Lord. So what fasting does is fasting helps us set aside the gift for a little bit of time so that we can be with the giver. That's the goal. Like, like, we do this with our children, right? Christmas, birthdays, like, okay, hey, 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 set that down. What do you say? Go tell them thank you. Give a hug. No, 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 give a hug, right? Like, we, we want them to know the giver is more important than the gift. 
This is the way it is with the Lord. Fasting, then, is our spiritual discipline of setting aside the gift for a bit, temporarily, so we can really thank and be with the giver. And that's done by praying to him and hearing him speak to us in his word. That's really what makes the act of fasting have the relational component that it needs. And this is where Roman Catholicism's missed the point, broadly, in the Middle Ages. If you go back, and still today, Rome misses the point when they talk about fasting. Those of you who have a background in Roman Catholicism know Rome has prescribed for a long time that there are two days uh, a year, every year, that are required days of fasting. And the entire season of Lent, which just started this last Wednesday for the Roman Catholic Church, is to be a time of fasting. According to canon law for Rome, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are required days of complete fasting for every Roman Catholic. And throughout the rest of the season of Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter, that should include abstaining from something for every Christian. And the Roman Catholic is given the choice of what things they want to abstain from. You can choose and kind of pick what it is. In addition to being told if you're a Roman Catholic, you cannot eat meat on Fridays during Lent. Now, I grew up in a town that was predominantly Roman Catholic. And I can clearly remember... All the people, not just kids, because kids are kids. I can remember the adults, too, who would fast during Lent from chocolate or soda or sugar or some other thing that they had chosen to be their extra thing of fast. And I remember clearly how absolutely meaningless that was to most of them, right? I can remember people going, yeah, I've given up chocolate for Lent, so double scoop of vanilla ice cream for me, right? Or... Well, I gave up chocolate, can't have the candy bars, but oh, paydays, paydays don't have chocolate in them. I can have those for Lent, right? Whatever it might be. People who were giving up things, I remember my town was big. Oh, I've given up beer for Lent this year. Yeah, it's tough, so glass of wine, please. You know, right? They were looking for loopholes. Or I remember those who said, oh, I've given up watching TV for Lent. It's really tough. Hey, you want to go get a movie? Because that's different. If we go to the movie theater, that's not TV at home. Like, that's fine, right? They were looking for loopholes. It was this half-hearted approach because they were told, hey, it's the act of giving something up in and of itself that God requires. Where your heart is in it wasn't the issue. Spending time with the Lord in, in replacement of the time you would have spent doing that thing wasn't what they were pushing. They were just saying, give something up. The act itself, that's what God's pleased with. And the Bible says, no, that's not the point at all. If you just abstain from something, but you don't spend any more time with the Lord in prayer or in the word, it's completely meaningless spiritually. And the goal of fasting needs to be drawing closer to God. So if we don't pray, if we don't listen to him in the word while we're fasting, we're not going to obtain that goal. So we need to understand this morning, fasting is not just something that we would do to bring pain and suffering into our lives because we've voluntarily given up some good thing that God's given us to normally enjoy. Fasting, if it's going to sharpen our affections, is going to sharpen our affections for God as we experience his power and work in our hearts in the midst of our fasting. So like we sang these words this morning from, from Psalm 34, which we, we had planned weeks ago that this, we would sing this song today, and these words are so appropriate to this topic, Psalm 34, 8 and 9 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Fasting is a way of both disciplining ourselves to believe that and then to express that we believe that in our lives. By choosing to fast, what we're doing is we're choosing to set aside the lesser things and find our fulfillment in God. And we can step out and trust that he actually does meet our needs and does sustain us. We can lean on him to provide for us as we set aside food and we spend that time instead in prayer and the word of God. 
Instead of tasting and seeing that the good gifts he's given us are actually good, which is what we do day by day by day, we get to experience these good things. Fasting is a way to set them aside and taste and see that the power of God and the relationship with God is actually better than the good gifts that he's giving us. So time spent in prayer and scripture really is crucial to really tasting, to really experiencing this reality that we should long for as Christians. If we're always filling ourselves up with just the good physical gifts of food and drink, even though they are good gifts, we are missing a powerful opportunity to see that the Lord is better than those things. We need to set them aside every once in a while to remind ourselves that we should enjoy him more than what he has given us. And maybe it's that. Maybe it's just this sharpening reminder. It's setting aside a good thing that's not necessarily a sin or hindering you. Or maybe it is as you set aside things and begin to fast, you realize how dependent you are and how sinful something has actually become in your life. You weren't aware of it when you were just enjoying it. But, but when you fast and set it aside, you maybe realize, I, I've been a little more dependent on that than I realized. Or like I try to be really mindful of this in my, in my own life. Like I, I love a good cup of coffee. I mean, I think I love a good cup of coffee still because I can't taste it most of the time since COVID, but I, I enjoy to have a cup of coffee, right? But I'm always watching my own heart to go, is my morning and subsequently my day dependent upon getting that caffeine kick in the morning from my coffee? Because if it is, and I've, I've become dependent on something that I really shouldn't be dependent on, and I go through these seasons where I cut it out for a while. I, I learned this when I was young. We had soda in the house, pop, whatever you want to call it, in the house all the time. Whole bottom thing was stocked with it just constantly. And it was not uncommon in my house when I was a kid to get up I would never let my kids do this. I don't know what my parents were thinking. But I'd get up first thing in the morning, right? Head to the fridge, grab a cola, drink that thing. I mean, we're talking like before I've gone to the bathroom, before any, like that was just first thing in the morning. And what I realized as a kid doing this was I became really dependent on that caffeine. Like if I didn't have it, I'd get these bad headaches. And they were just caffeine withdrawals. Like I hadn't input enough caffeine just from drinking soda all day long. And so I learned from early age, like if I don't want that to mark my life, I've got to be really careful to regulate this thing so I don't become dependent on something that's a good gift. We can be enjoyed, but it can also be very dangerous if we leave it unchecked. So when we fast, what we're doing is we're setting aside whatever good gift it may be so we can experience God's sustaining and controlling power in a special way. Now, when I defined fasting at the start of this, as I wrap this up here, I, I, want, I want to address this because I think it's important for us to get. I defined fasting at the start in the way that you would have gotten the If you had gone to, to Moses or to Peter or Paul or Augustine or Luther, somebody like that, and you'd said, what is fasting? They would have given you the definition I gave you at the start. Fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. But I think we can modify that statement just a little bit. Because there's a, the goal behind fasting, I think, can broaden this principle for us in helpful ways. And what we obtain by fasting from food can be sought at in other ways, more personal to each one of us, too. So remember the goal. The goal of fasting is that fasting done rightly helps sharpen our affections and desires for God above all else, right? So while historically that meant fasting from food. And in every instance you read over the 80 instances you read in the Bible, when they talk about fasting, they're talking about fasting from food. That's what's occurring. But I think it can also be appropriate to talk about fasting from other things as well. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Fasting, if we truly conceive of it, must not be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. There are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, 
but which, for special, peculiar reasons in certain circumstances, should be controlled. That is fasting. What he's driving at is that the intention behind fasting, of abstaining from something, is that you would sharpen your affections for God by spending more time in prayer and the word of God. And if you do that act by giving up something else, that's in line with the heart, the reason behind fasting. So very practically, I think this is important for us to hear because for some people, seasons of life that we might be in can make fasting unrealistic or unwise. There are health conditions that make it impossible for a person to go even a day without fasting. There are people who have histories of abusing food, bulimia, anorexia. Those are serious conditions. And you should not undertake fasting without some support around you. That's not wise. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not undertake fasting without careful thought, planning, wise input to make sure that's healthy for them and for the children. So what Lloyd-Jones is driving at in his explanation is that if we keep in mind the goal of fasting that we're going to give up something so that we can draw closer to God, spend more time in prayer and uh, reading the word, we could do that through giving up something else, fasting from something else. In fact, Lloyd-Jones and Piper and many others would go so far to say that for some, fasting from something other than food may be more of a true fast for them in terms of obtaining this goal. Fasting from television for a season might be spiritually helpful to some of you. Remember, we're not saying TV in and of itself is bad. We're just saying if you give that up and fill that time instead with prayer and the word of God for a period of time, that may be what you need to do to get closer to the Lord. Or fasting from some other form of recreation or entertainment or social media. All of those things can be valid things, I think. The key point is that if you're going to say you're fasting from something, you have to be replacing the time you would have spent on that thing with the relationship with the Lord, with prayer and the scriptures. If you do not do that, if you just give something up, it might be really beneficial for you to cut that thing out of your life, but I'm going to argue that's probably more a matter of stewardship than it is fasting. Fasting is something that is temporarily abstaining in order to seek God more in prayer and his word. So I mentioned this at the very end of the message here because my experience has been... (laughs) walking with a lot of different Christians from Roman Catholic backgrounds, Protestant backgrounds, whatever, is a lot of people are drawn to say they're fasting because it sounds good to say you're fasting, right? And so people will fast things that are easier to fast rather than things that are harder. If you really want to fast right, you're going to have to feel some discomfort of giving that thing up. Your body needs food, which is why fasting is predominantly tied to that in Scripture. You need that, You know you need that. You will soon feel that you need that if you give it up. But it teaches us that we need God more. The longing for food that you have should push you to sharpen your longing for God. And that's why fasting is primarily connected to food. But I think we can fast truly from other things temporarily for seasons, giving them up in order to draw closer to the Lord. So here are the key points, again, for what I want you to know about fasting. In order to reach the goal of finding joy and spiritual vitality and getting closer to the Lord. Here are the things I want you to remember, whether you choose to fast from food or from some other good gift that you have in your life right now. Remember, fasting is a tool to evaluate our hearts and discern what is going on inside of us. It will help us attack our idolatry so it will not rob our affections from God. Piper said, whatever you have in your heart is going to come out when you fast and you're going to either choose, I've got to deal with it or smother it. The only way to attack it is to deal with it. So when you fast and that anger comes out, you've got to pray, Lord, help me with my anger. 
or jealousy or bitterness or whatever it is. Remember, fasting is not an end in itself. If you just determine, I'm going to fast this day, and you do nothing else with it, you have not fasted. You've just gone hungry. Fasting must be tied to prayer and scripture intake. Fasting should help us love the giver more than the gifts. If we're not getting that goal, something's wrong. We're not getting it right along the way. And fasting helps us experience God's sustaining and controlling power in our lives. So let's apply this to our lives today. To those of you who have never fastened, fast, fasted as a Christian, I want to challenge you to pray about this. And if you, like I said earlier, if you have questions about this, what it might look like, or how you could go about starting to do this, come and talk to me. Let me help you work through those things. To those of you who have experience with fasting because of a Roman Catholic background, or you've used some, some more uh, cultural means of fasting, you're familiar with those concepts, I want to challenge you. If you do fasting, what is your goal in fasting? If it's anything less than growing closer to God, creating more time in your life for prayer and scripture intake, and humbling yourself before God, then what you're doing is not this spiritual discipline of Christian fasting. So examine the goal, examine that as you think about fasting. And for those of you who do fast right now, I want to challenge you. Let's examine the approach that we have and the results that we're getting from our fasting. Are we humbling ourselves before God in fasting, or are we actually building ourselves up? Because it's possible to fast and go, man, look how good I am. I can fast for a whole day. Man, I'm spiritually, you know, we can get really prideful about this humbling act. If we're fasting, are we spending that time in prayer and the word? Are the affections we have, the desires we have for God being sharpened by our fasting? Are we repenting of sin? Are we doing the heart work that we need to do? Or are we just content with managing hunger for a day or two or however long it is you fast? Look, the idea of fasting might be more popular today than it has been over the last hundred years or so. But the spiritual discipline of fasting requires much more of us than popular level fasting can provide. So worship team, if you'll come this morning to lead us in a song of response, I want us to all take a few moments to reflect and to think personally about how we need to apply this, how we can go about starting this discipline in our lives. And I want you to understand there's no set days of fasting for the Christian. The New Testament makes really, really clear there's no season that we have to set aside as that fasting season for us. Rome is in absolute error to tell their followers that you have to fast during Lent as a requirement. That's unbiblical. It's unhelpful. We are not to set this. I cannot, as your pastor, come in here and say, all of you must fast on this day from this thing in this way. That is not what God has for fasting. But Jesus did say, where we started this morning, that his people would fast during this age. And since we're here, none of us are in heaven with him now, when should we fast? When should you fast? Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord and ask the when, the how, what should we fast from? How long should we fast from it personally? If you want counsel and you want um, perspective on that, I'm happy to talk with you about that. If you just want to pray together, the altars are open. I'm happy to pray with you. I'm available to you for that. They're going to sing and lead us in this song of declaring God knows who we are. He knows our name, knows everything about us. And so I'm going to challenge you to pray as we respond to him that he would reveal to you what you need personally, how to go about implementing this discipline in your life. Let's worship and let's respond to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for that. 
We thank you for these truths that you do know us. Every one of us in this room, Lord, you know us personally. And so, Lord, as we're seeking you today, we're, we're thinking about this discipline of fasting and the, the goal of it not being just abstaining from gifts, but sharpening our affections and our love and our desires for you, Lord. I pray that you would lead each one of us to see what things are hindering us now, Lord. Give us the strength and the conviction to implement this discipline, this tool, so that we will know what's in our hearts and what things may be drawing us away from you. Help us see those things and combat those things, Lord, so that our relationship with you can flourish and thrive, Lord. We're seeking you. We're seeking the joy of a full relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead each one of us into that this week, Lord, to think about these things, to begin to implement these things, and to find this good result of joy and flourishing as we love you and serve you in this world. It's in your beautiful name that we pray, Lord Jesus, and everyone said, amen. amen.